We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. Open your Bibles this morning, please. To the book of Genesis. <clears throat> Book of Genesis, chapter 11, and this morning we're going to try to quickly finish this chapter and go into the real meat of the book of Genesis. Go to verse 10, and I'm not going to read this text. It's all the names. It's the history of Shem. We already talked about Japheth. We talked about Ham. Now, this is the history of Shem. From verse 10 to verse 26, okay? And I'll just read the last few words, the last um, verse. It says, after he begot Terah, that is Nahor. Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. From this point on, God ceases to work directly with and through mankind as a whole, okay? since they rebelled against him. Nevertheless, the line of the promised seed was being preserved regardless of what man did, and the records of the patriarchs were being protected, and God's plan was still on in spite of it all. Here we now have the patriarchal genealogies and chronology from the flood to the call of Abraham. This genealogy is another very important passage of scripture and the most important of the genealogies as far as the promised seed, the Messiah, is concerned. <coughs> because we said that through Shem, the Messiah would come. Okay? Here we see the fulfillment of the prophecy about Shem. The time of these events, it says, is two years after the flood, in verse 10. Something interesting to note is that man's age gradually decreases after the flood. And a few interesting examples are Noah, who died in the year 2006 before Christ, 50 years after the birth of Abraham. So you see Noah and Abraham overlapped. Shem does not die until Jacob becomes 48 years old. And Shem lived longer than Abraham, just like Eber. Now, what would be the purpose for why they lived so long? God must have, must have used them as witnesses to warn people of the consequences of sin. And there are very few links in the chain of the tradition from Adam until Abraham. Very few links. <coughs> it's not like you have 100 or 200 names in between. No, you have just very few. Okay? Adam lived until the time of Methuselah. And Methuselah lived until the time of Shem. Shem lived until the time of Jacob. Okay? So with Peleg... Verses 18 and 19, man's age is reduced almost in half. In his time, God also, it says, confused the languages in Babel just over 100 years after the flood. Now, go to verse 27, and we'll read here the history of Terah. Now, who's Terah? Terah is the father of Abraham. Okay? This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died after, uh, before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them 
from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. The story now concentrates not just on the genealogy of Shem, but in one man, in this case Terah. We see here Terah's genealogy, with whom begins the history of Israel. Okay, according to Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, and here we see the separation of Terah and his sons from the Chaldeans, though it is an incomplete separation. Ur was a great city. And in that, his son Haran died in that city of Ur of the Chaldeans before his father's departure. As I said, Ur was a great city with a high civilization, including a great library, even before Abram's time. But it was a very idolatrous city. It was very near Babel, who's, where idolatry began. And next, the text mentions for the first time the wives of Abram and Nahor and makes special mention about Sarai's barrenness, followed by Terah's departure. Now, if God had given him command to go to Canaan, he obeyed only in part, that is Terah. For he settled in Haran, northwest of Ur, instead of traveling west to Canaan itself. Haran was an important city in Syria, which exists even today. Whatever the reason as to why Terah settled there, and why he didn't travel to Canaan, the story goes directly to his death at the age of 205. Now, Terah had Abram at the age of 70, when he was 70 years old. And Abram departed from Haran at the age of 75 years old. So then Terah was 145 years old. The book of Acts says that Abraham left when his father was dead. Where are the other 60 years? It's possible that this refers to a spiritual death as far as God's will for his life was concerned because of Terah's idolatry. And also because of his partial obedience, which Joshua refers to as well. If you turn to the book of Joshua, one second, chapter 24, the last chapter in the book of Joshua, Verse 2, it says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt in this, uh, on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. See, they were, came from an idolatrous civilization, an idolatrous background. So we see here, that when it says that he left, in the book of Acts, it says that he left, uh, Abraham that is, when, after his father died, maybe his, it's, it's talking about his spiritual death because he no longer served God's purpose. That's a sad story, okay? Also in the same chapter of Joshua, right there in verse uh, uh, 14, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord, says Joshua. Serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it, is, uh, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that should be the testimony of every believer, that in my house, we will serve the Lord. And what does it mean to serve the Lord? It means to obey Him. It means to do His will. Let uh, everybody else do whatever they want. You make sure you serve the Lord. Not a religion, not a sect, not some philosophy, but the Lord Himself. Okay? So it was at this point that Terah was dead for all practical purposes to God's will, and to God's plan for his life. 
God renewed his call, but this time he renewed it to Abraham alone. Now, how do we come to that? If you turn with me one second to the Gospel of Matthew, and go to chapter 8, and verse 21, this is the part where the Lord is talking about the cost of discipleship. In Matthew 8, verse 21, it says that then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, what does this mean? Was his father dead? No. Okay. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead, their own dead. What is he saying here? He says, Lord, I will follow you, but I will do it after my father dies and I bury him. That's what the idea is here. And what does the Lord say? Is the Lord doesn't have any sensitivity or feeling for somebody who just died? Of course he does. I mean, he wept at Lazarus's tomb, didn't he? What he's telling him is, that's not the way to do it. If you're going to follow me, follow me now. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Let the dead bury their own dead. See? And that's the case with Terah and Abraham. He left them because he was already dead for all practical purposes. This was the sad story of the end of a patriarch's life. It is a stern warning to any who would allow ease and comfort to hinder them from following Christ. If you wait for the right moment to serve the Lord, you will never serve the Lord because the right moment, the devil will make sure it never comes. So when, it is, the time, when is the right time to serve the Lord? Now, how old do I need to be to serve the Lord? Well, if you are between 6 and 80, you're in the right age. Samuel was 6. Moses was 80. So if you are in between there, Perfect time to serve the Lord. And don't forget that Abraham was called out of the earth of the Chaldees, as we just read, and he was 75 years old when the Lord called him. Some people wait, ah, when I'm old, I'll serve the Lord. Keep it. The Lord doesn't want the leftovers. He wants the best, the first fruits. Hmm? So here we see this is a sad story and a stern warning to any who would allow ease and comfort to hinder them from following the Lord Jesus Christ. Terah was no longer useful to the Lord. And that's why the Apostle Paul, who knew very well the Old Testament, says this, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. What is that talking about? It's talking about self-discipline. Each one of us must occupy ourselves working out our salvation, not working for our salvation. The Lord already did that. But working out our salvation, putting in practice the things the Lord tells us to do. When the Word of God says something, do it. And if you know this is the right thing to do it, do it. Don't put it off. Okay? So we see here that the Apostle Paul, the greatest apostle that ever lived perhaps, he says, I discipline my body. Because it's very easy to preach to others. It's very difficult to preach to yourself. It's very difficult to keep your body under subjection because the flesh always reacts. Okay? And if you think you are the only one who has a battle between the flesh and the spirit, welcome to the human race. We all have the same problem. You say, you pastor have the same problem? You bet you I do. I wasn't born behind the pulpit. I got saved when I was 25 years old, almost 26 
I have plenty of time to live out there. I tried a lot of things that I'm ashamed to have tried. But I thank the Lord for his grace because he saved me back in 1975. So it's going to be now 49 years coming this uh, January that the Lord by his grace reached down and saved me. And you know what? That is the best decision I ever made. The only thing I'm sorry for is that I didn't do it earlier. But again, God's timing is perfect. He knows why he did it and when. So we see here that the Apostle Paul says, I discipline my body. Okay? Terah was no longer useful to the Lord, though he was still saved, probably. So beware like, become, uh, of becoming like Terah, believing in God and hoping to have his blessing, but still holding on to the world. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said this in Luke 9, 62. If any man will follow me, you put your hand to the plow. Anyone who looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. In other words, you cannot say you follow Christ and you continue looking back to the world like Lot's wife, as if you don't, as if you don't missed, you missed the life in Sodom. Now, you're not going to become a stone like Lot's wife became, but most certainly you will lose your blessings. Okay? And God is no respecter of persons. So now God turns to Abraham in the next chapter, chapter 12. What Terah might have been, his son became. What? A blessing to all the families of the earth. So now we come to Genesis chapter 12. So if you would like, please turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. This is the fourth dispensation. This is the call of Abraham. And here we see for the first time the establishment of the Abrahamic covenant. The promises God makes to Abraham. So I'm going to read the first three verses. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make, you, make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I want you to know that this section of scripture is the key to history. The key to history. Okay? Up to the time of the dispersion, uh, the Tower of Babel, and for some time after, God had been dealing with mankind as a whole, as we said before, all the nations. After the flood, a new dispensation began with Noah and his sons, and they all had the knowledge of the one true God. But before the flood, it wasn't long, or rather I should say, but as before the flood, it wasn't long before rebellion entered mankind once again becoming as serious as in the days before the flood. It doesn't take long for man to deteriorate. It doesn't take long for man to disobey. God had to intervene once more and bring judgment by confusing the languages, forcing men to scatter throughout the earth. But this did not cause man to return to God. Man continued in his rebellion, worshiping the host of heaven, idolatry, and moral degradation. There were a few faithful ones who retained the knowledge of the true God, like Job, Melchizedek, and a few others, people who truly loved God and continued to worship him, even though man as a whole had turned his back on God. But God never leaves himself without a witness, we're told in Acts 14, 17. Therefore now, 2,000 years after the creation of man, 
God begins a new approach to reach man. He begins to create and prepare a new nation. One which would be responsible for carrying God's revelation to other men and through whom the Redeemer would come to work out God's plan of salvation. The account now enters on or centers on the story of a man from whom a nation would come that God would use to carry out his work for the redemption of man and all that pertain to the kingdom of God, a very different kingdom to man's kingdoms. And this is what most people do not get. The Bible is not a book about science, even though it has science in it. The, book, the Bible is not a book about just history, the details of history, though it has history in it. The book, the Bible is a book about salvation, is about redemption, is about God's plan to save sinful man. That's what the Bible is. And that's why the Bible reveals to us God in three persons as we sang before. Blessed Trinity. Outside of the Bible... We cannot know God. Outside of the Bible, we do not understand the origin of man. Scientists are wrong when they give us all these theories about evolution and what have you. God doesn't need evolution to create something. God is the one who created everything out of nothing. Man can create, but only with something already created. Man cannot create something out of nothing. That's why when you read the Bible in the Hebrew, the first words of uh, Genesis, in the beginning God created. That word, the verb to create, is the word bara in Hebrew, which is used exclusively for God. Never for man. Man can never bara. Only God can do that, which tells us that God created everything out of nothing. How? He spoke, and it was done. Never mind evolution. That's the invention of a man's theory. God is the only witness to creation. Darwin was not. Eh? And so here we see that This work of God, the account now centers on the story of man from whom a nation, uh, of a man from whom a nation would come that God would use to carry out his work for, of redemption, the redemption of man and all that pertain to the kingdom of God. Now, this is one of the most important biblical texts For in it is revealed God's purpose. God's purpose was to bless the world through one nation. And the world is acting the way they're acting because they're ignorant of the word of God. Man ignores it and his ignorance leads him to do what is contrary to the divine plan. Sealing his own judgment and destruction. God chose a man named Abram, a descendant of Shem and son of Terah. They came out of Ur of the Chaldees and went to Haran, as we saw before. While there, God renewed his call to Abram. In the book of Acts, in chapter 7, Stephen the first martyr of the church, faithful Stephen, he knew his history, the history of his people very, very well. And Stephen said, Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, And said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. 
Now this is 2,000 years after Abraham, when uh, Stephen says this, okay? God renewed his call to Abram and told him to go to Canaan to establish a new nation. Abram left his father behind, who had probably reverted back to idolatry, as we said before, and obeyed God fully, going to the land of Canaan. So we see here the call of Abraham. The Lord commands Abram to leave his country and his family and his father's house, Ur the Chaldees, and go to a new land that he will show him. Now Abram obeyed and left without knowing where he was going, trusting the Lord. Now, did he know which direction to take? Yes. But he didn't know when he had to stop. It's like me saying to you, just go that way. And you go. But I don't tell you where to stop. I'll tell you that later. So that, what was Abraham's walk that way? It was a walk of faith. Because he left and went, not knowing where he was going. God's call is not always easy to follow. Abram is told to leave his home and his family and go to a strange land. A land that had already become famous for its wickedness. The land of the descendants of the cursed son of Ham. Who was the cursed son of Ham? Hamas. I mean, no. Canaan. And listen, I'm not too far. The Canaanites were wicked people. But God also makes Abram a wonderful promise. He told him he would establish a great nation through him. A nation through which one day all other nations would be blessed. And isn't that true? Through that nation, the whole world has been blessed. Though most of them don't know it. Out of their ignorance and hardness of heart. Not only did the Messiah come through that nation, who, who brought salvation to the whole world, to everyone who wants to receive it, but isn't it true that the people of Israel, the Jewish people throughout the centuries, even before Israel was reborn in 1948, isn't it true that a lot of Jewish people in society became a blessing? You try to read the list of Nobel Prizes and see how many are Jews in different areas and see how many are other nations. In proportion, it's outrageous, it's unbelievable. And some people, how many of you use Wi-Fi? You use Wi-Fi? If you don't, you're not in the 21st century. Everybody uses Wi-Fi. You know who invented the Wi-Fi? You will never guess in a million years. <coughs> yes. Hedy Lamar. And who was Hedy Lamar? How many of you have seen the picture Samson and Delilah with Victor Mature? You haven't seen it? Are you people alive? <laughs> That's the classic of Samson and Delilah by Cecil B. DeMille, the same, same producer who produced the Ten Commandments. Go to uh, YouTube or something, you'll find it. The actress who played Delilah, her name was Hedy Lamar. She was an Austrian Jew. She was an inventor too. And she is the one who came up 
with all the preliminaries of what today we call Wi-Fi. <coughs> How many know this, uh, this music? How many of you know that? Who wrote that? A Jew. His name was Felix Mendelssohn. Who, who knows? That's the Habanera from Carmen. Who wrote that? A French Jew. His name was George Bizet. And I can go on and on and on and on and on. Because I love music. But in other areas like science, education, literature, do you know the poem in the, sta in the Statue of Liberty? Give me your poor, give me your destitute. Huh? Who wrote that poem? Who? Well, we know that, thank you. But who, who, who wrote that? You Americans? Shame on you. You don't know who wrote that? How many of you have been to the, sta to the Statue of Liberty? Never, never noticed the poem there written, engraved? Hmm? Emma Lazarus. She was a Jew. But I'm telling you, go to uh, find out through uh, Google Nobel Prizes and see how many Jewish names you have there. The point is, the Jews have been a blessing to this world, whoever they are. And we today benefited and continue to benefit from many of their inventions and creations. My mother who was very wise. She lived in the Jewish neighborhood in Greece before the Nazis came and wiped it out. And she used to say to me all the time, because we lived in Argentina and we were also surrounded by Jews. Argentina was the fourth largest Jewish country in the world. And she used to say to me, where the Jews are, you have peace and prosperity. And isn't that true even here in this country? Jewish neighborhoods are quiet. And they prosper. Most of the firms, I worked in Wall Street for 10 years. Most of the firms in Wall Street, most of them were Jewish. Lawyers? Lawyer, lawyer firms? How many of them aren't Jewish? Doctors? All my doctors in New Jersey were Jewish. How many, <coughs> how many Muslims do you know? A few now lately, but they're not Arabs. They're Indian or Pakistani. Why is that happening? I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. Which is the part they don't understand. The word of God doesn't lie. Now, this is called, as I said, the Abrahamic covenant, which has never been fulfilled in its entirety up to now, and is in effect still today awaiting fulfillment in the future. So never say that the Old Testament is obsolete because the Old Testament is not just the Mosaic Covenant. What has been fulfilled by the Lord on the cross is the Mosaic Covenant, not the Abrahamic. The Abrahamic Covenant has not been fulfilled in its entirety yet. And this is the key to Scripture as far as God's purpose for Israel and the nations is concerned. And this is one of the first promises of the coming Savior who would bring salvation to all nations and peoples. And this is the promised seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15. Now it is clear that it would be accomplished not just through Shem, but through 
the family of Abraham. And this is the election of Christ's forefather. That's why when you read the New Testament, how does it begin? The book of Matthew. Book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it begins. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brethren, right? And goes on and on and on. Why does it say Abraham and David? Because as a descendant of Abraham, he is a Hebrew, and then comes through the tribe of Judah, makes him a Jew. And David, because, because he's a descendant of David, and David was a Jew, he has the right to the throne of the kingdom. So some people, I heard so many times, people say, oh, those genealogies. Well, listen, praise God for those genealogies. Because they make it so clear. God's purpose is perfect. And they give us accurate information. Okay? So we see that the New Testament begins with that book. In the Greek word, in the Greek, the word book is vivlos, which transliterated is Bible. So I heard Christians ignorantly say, oh, the word Bible is not in the Bible. Yes, it is. The first word in the Greek text in the New Testament is the word Bible. God, everything he writes in his word was written for a purpose. God does not just write things in order to just write, just to fill pages. God writes something, better believe it, it's there for a purpose. I was so happy the other day in Thanksgiving, my niece, one of my nieces came up to me and says, Tio, tio I'm, I'm reading the book of Leviticus, but it's so dry. I says, keep reading. Keep reading. If you want, I will send you, I'll email you my notes on Leviticus, all 150 pages of them. That will make it easier for you to read Leviticus and understand it. She says, no, no thanks. I says, no thanks. I'll send it to you. It'll be a lot easier for you to understand the book of Leviticus. The key in the book of Leviticus is holiness. God is a holy God. And so we see that the promise of the uh, seed of the woman, it's clear that it now will be accomplished through Abraham's, Abraham's family. Now this is the election of Christ's forefather. We see three things he has to renounce before anything else. He has to renounce his country his family, and his father. Now, is that easy to do? That's very hard. Very hard. But you know what that is? That is called holiness. You know what holy means? It means separate. Doesn't mean walking around with dirty, ragged clothes and holes in your shoes and you know hail over your head. That's not holy. That's dirty. Okay. Don't be a slob. Holy means separate. You separate from the world. Separate unto God. That's what holiness is. That's why the apostle Paul exhorts the Corinthian believers who have a lot of problems. <clears throat> he, he says to the Corinthian believers to be separate. In 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Therefore come out from among them and be separate. That's holy. Says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters. Says the Lord Almighty. 2 Corinthians 6. 17 and 18. So Abraham had to renounce his country. He had to renounce his family. He had to leave all the idols behind. He had to go where God told him to do. And he had to renounce his father. His father was a worldly man. Again, 
The Word of God tells us in the book of 1 John, a verse that you heard me many times, quote, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not from the Father, but from the world. And the world passes and its fashions. But he who does the will of God abides forever. If somebody sees you walking down the street, can they tell you're a Christian? When you open your mouth to talk, can people say you're a Christian? Can they say that? If you are a Christian, you'll be separate. You will not imitate the world. You'll imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will speak like the Lord Jesus Christ. You will follow in his footsteps. You will not be imitating the world. Because you know what? The the world comes out with uh, some fashion today. And tomorrow, they come with something else. So, listen, uh, don't throw your clothes away. Keep them, because I bet you that in another 24 years, that style is coming back. And all they do, the reason they do it for, is to make money. People get uh, tired of their clothes, they throw them away. Now, I had to get rid of all my clothes, but for a good reason. I'm skinny. Truly, I had to get rid of all my, my, my polo shirts. I had to get rid of my underwear. I had to get rid of pants. I had to get rid of shirts. The one I'm wearing now is wearing it for the first time. Say, what size do you wear now, human? Why did I do that? First of all, because I want to be a good testimony. Secondly, for health reasons. It is unhealthy to be overweight. The doctor told my sister a few months back, most of the diseases that we treat are due to overweight. Whether it's diabetes, whether it's cancer, whether it's heart conditions, even emotional problems. So if you're overweight, I'm not preaching to you today. I'm just giving you a piece of advice. And I'm telling you, I'm asking you to do what I did. Or what I'm doing, so I'm not done yet. Lose weight. Be a good testimony. Besides, you know what? Your body, if you're a Christian, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you've got to take care of it. You've got to take care of it. Be addicted to God. Don't be addicted to substance abuses like heroin and other chemicals, or uh, cigarettes, or even food, or drink. Be addicted to God in a good way. Now, the Lord promises seven things to Abraham. He says to him first, I will make you a great nation. Israel is made a great nation by God. I will bless you. It is personal for Abram. God's grace worked and it was well with him. He was highly respected. I will make you great. Or I will make your name great. Abram would be famous, given many names. He was uh, called the father of many nations. In Genesis 17, 5. Prince of God or mighty prince. Genesis 23, 6. The man in God's confidence, Genesis 18. Prophet, Genesis chapter 20, verse 7. Servant of God, Psalm 105, verse 6. Friend of God, Isaiah 41, 8, James 2, 23. Divine favor, not merits. You shall be a blessing... Should, be tra- should have been translated, you be a blessing. It's a commandment. God tells Abraham, you be a blessing. 
an example of life. And you know what? God is telling you the same thing this morning. You be a blessing. And God also promised protection. I will bless those who bless you. Human blessing is to desire good. Divine blessing is to impart good. Did you hear that? Human blessing is to desire good. If I say to you, Lord bless you, what am I doing? I'm desiring something good. But when God blesses you, not only he's desiring good for you, he is imparting good to you. <clears throat> the plural form indicates that there would be many that would bless him. That's why he says, I will bless those, plural, who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. Not them, but him. Singular in Hebrew, not plural. There would not be many that would curse Abram. Though many have cursed the Jewish people throughout the nations, throughout the history. Nevertheless, God has blessed and protected them and made them a blessing in so many ways. And it says, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. A blessing so big, it would extend to all the families of the earth. Judgment for sin divided the human race. Here God promises to unite the human race. But only those who would believe the promise made to Abraham, and it will be fulfilled only in connection with the promised Savior, making it a messianic promise. That is, the Messiah would come from the seed of Abraham. I believe this is the key to everything. These three verses of the 12th chapter of Genesis are the key. The United Nations should read that. Every head of government should read that. Because if they do, or when they do, they will save themselves a lot of troubles. But what do they do instead? They ignore it. And what are they doing? The opposite of God's will to their own destruction. I am so glad that at least the other day, and I'm not, I'm not putting my faith in man, but we must rejoice in the sense when something good happens. They had elections in Argentina. And the candidate that won is a conservative, right-wing businessman. And the first thing he did, he signed a law to stop child trafficking in Argentina. Do you know who is the biggest child trafficker in the world? Right here. And in his discourse of acceptance of the victory, he said, we have to thank him who makes all things possible. That's the kind of leaders we need here. Leaders who love and respect God, at least they fear him, and who are here in it, they are in their position for the good of the country, not for their own advantage. Don't be fools when they promise you too many things. Oh, you're going to get this for free. There's nothing for free. The government never gives you anything for free. I pay for it. You pay for it. Government takes your money, gives it to somebody else. They don't produce money. So don't fall for that. You want to get something? You want to have good things in your life? Work. That's how God determined it. By the sweat of your brow, you shall earn your bread. We read that in Genesis chapter 3. So what do we need to do as believers? I think we need to get more on our knees. Spend more time on our knees. Praying. First of all, for ourselves. Secondly, for our family. For our church. For our, our country. Because prayer is the lever that moves God's hand. How many of you believe in prayer? Hmm? Then let's go to it. Let's go to it. You want something done? Something good? 
to the glory of God, not to your convenience, to the glory of God, then pray. Pray. They tell me that years ago on Fulton Street here in New York, many years ago, back in the 19th century, they would meet a few businessmen together, and they began to pray. All they did was pray, at lunchtime, pray. And a little time later, they broke out this huge revival in downtown New York, and many people got saved. Back in 1905, in Wales, an evangelist by the name of Evan Roberts was famous because they started a revi revival and thousands of people were swept into the kingdom of God. And you know how it all started? They started passing out a track that said, all it said was, get right with God. And the fear of God gripped their hearts and people began to repent and get saved. I read something, and I don't know if it's true or not, you never can tell, that the other day in Gaza, 200 Palestinians got saved because they also saw a dream of the Lord Jesus Christ together at the same time. And this is not the first time that I'm hearing about something like that. They are in, in the Arab, Muslim, in the Muslim environment. Now, who is to limit God? I know God speaks to us through his word, but those people don't have his word. Okay? So let's not limit God. God can do anything. Let's pray that it's true, because that is the only hope for Hamas. Oh, I mean, I mean for the Palestinians, not for Hamas. Hamas has no hope, but for the Palestinians. Okay? Let's, let's keep praying. Pray for Israel, <coughs> for the peace of Jerusalem, and let us pray for our country, and let us be faithful. Amen? Father, we thank you so much this day for your infinite love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for... This beautiful chapter of scripture, Lord Genesis 12, which is a key chapter. And we pray that you'll help us to take the time to study your word, to, to, to read your word, so that we may know your will, dear God, and not be in darkness like the rest of the world. Thank you for this day. We pray that you will bless also the service that is to follow this one. And be with us as we dismiss this service this morning. And Father, bless also uh, those who are not here today, those who are ill, pray especially for Maria Gallegos, that you continue to be with her. And We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the Word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.